I remember thinking, say, even saying things like, I can't believe that she would do this. I can't believe, oh, he would do that. I would never <laughs> until I started to do the work on myself and realize like, oh my gosh, no, they're not horrible people. Just like I'm not a horrible person. I just have these unmet needs or unhealed emotions that I haven't dealt with. And so it's coming out in the form of gossip or backstabbing or overeating or over drinking or overspending. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast slash show. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. Today's episode, we will be speaking with Colleen Odegaard. The very week that Colleen and I did this interview, she was transitioning out of her almost three-decade career as a TV personality. She was the host on Charlotte Today, WCNC, and she is now 30 days into being a full-time entrepreneur. Colleen decided that it was her life's passion to help others find themselves, and live a more fulfilling life. Colleen is now a life coach, media coach, and the host of her own podcast, Wake Up to Your Life, which is a fabulous podcast, by the way. If you like this podcast, I, without a doubt, guarantee that you will love, love, love her podcast, Wake Up to Your Life. So I'm super excited to share this with you. Um, Colleen just has this fun just authentic personality. She just puts it all out there. And I think that's really amazing because as a TV personality, I imagine that people are constantly looking at your behavior and how you act and set these standards for you. And Colleen just owns herself. You know, she owns her personality. She owns who she is. And she just puts it out there to the world. So I'm super excited to share this with you. I hope you enjoy all the information to learn more about Colleen is in the show notes. So without further ado, here is Colleen Odegaard. All right, here we go. <laughs> all right, Colleen, well, welcome to Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast slash show. Uh, most people listen in, but for those of you who are listening and do not know Colleen, because we do have viewers from across the globe. Colleen, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, who you are. Mm -hmm. So tell us about yourself. Brittany, Nicole, thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on your show. I'm so excited about this. Pleasure to have you. Yeah. Who, I'm a person who loves emotional intelligence. <laughs> I love talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, like really getting into the nitty gritty. I love the stuff. That's why I love your book. I love the work you're doing and through this podcast. Um, I would say that I'm a seeker and I hope that doesn't sound hokey, but I'm always... Um, looking to learn more about myself and people around me and what makes us tick yeah, and why we get in our own way and how we stop doing that. So I'm a person who loves that and a person who loves love. <laughs> That's who I am. You've had a lot of changes going on in your life recently. Tell us about it. Yeah. So long time television career for almost three decades, almost 30 years. 
And I have just left that to pursue my coaching business full-time. I'm a life coach, a certified life coach, and I'm a video and media coach. And what that means is I, I help people to be more comfortable on camera so that they can get their message out to their audiences, whether that's on social media or their perfect clients, so that they can get more views, get press interviews, get booked to speak on media, continue with speaking careers. So I was doing all those things at the same time. I was doing my full-time TV job and then the coaching business, and it was too much for mama. So something had to go, and this is what I picked, the coaching. I'm sure that's awesome. And your podcast is amazing. Don't forget to mention your podcast. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's called Wake Up To Your Life, Wake Up To Your Life podcast. And yeah, I really do love the podcast. It really is designed to teach people something. I don't ever want to waste anyone's time. I try to teach you something that you can do, some kind of a mind hack or something that you can do to, to really, as I mentioned earlier, stop getting out of your own way and go after the life that you want. And that's kind of how I learned more about you. You know, I had seen you on, you know, Charlotte Today and you had interviewed me and you had, you had talked about having um, a podcast related to emotional intelligence. And I was like, oh, she has a podcast. And then I started following you on social media and you're constantly posting stuff. And like you said, it's valuable content. You're not showing what you just had for breakfast. You're giving people information that's really going to help them change their life and grow as a person and also in their career. Um, and so I listened to a few of your episodes that really just resonated with me. And you talked about change and fear mm -hmm. and filling your emotions instead of just ignoring them. Mm -hmm. And that's the direction that I kind of wanted to go with you today, because I know that you've been experiencing a lot of change and I'm sure with that change comes a ton of feelings. So what are you feeling right now? I'm sure it's mixed with both pleasant and very unpleasant emotions. Yeah. It depends on the moment really. But yeah, so I've been excited about this change in my life, really uh, exhilarated by it. And then, you know, five minutes later, I'm terrified and think I've made a terrible mistake and all kinds of thoughts and feelings that I've been having about it. But um, so, yeah, so feelings I've been having since quitting my resigning from my television job, which is a sure thing. You know, I mean, it's a steady paycheck every two weeks and I know exactly how to do it. And, and um, it's easy for me because I've been doing it for so long. You know what I mean? Anything that yeah. you've been doing for so long that you're in that state of, uh, you know, unconscious competence where you don't even have to think about it. You can just do it. So um, leaving that and starting this new thing, being an entrepreneur is really scary. But Brittany Nicole, I talked on one of my podcasts about thinking that, you know, that not being on TV would somehow make me not, special and that people wouldn't like me anymore. Maybe they won't listen to me because I'm losing that quote prestigious position or that um, I'll lose my currency with people that people only like me because they want to get on TV and they think that I can help them with that. And now that I can't offer them a spot on the show, then they don't want to talk to me anymore. Having all kinds of thoughts like that, those thoughts have created feelings of uh, fear and anxiety and even despair at times in me, just feeling really like, oh my gosh, I've really messed this up. Um, right. So I had to go back and look at what I was thinking and really change, change my thoughts. 
And there, and, and the unfortunate thing is there are people that are going to be like that. Right. But at the same time, it's almost a relief. I would imagine to know that the people that are going to still be there for you are genuinely mm-hmm. interested in what you're doing. And it's not pushing their own personal agendas. For sure. For sure. And, and you know, and I, I just go back to the right people will find me, the right people like me. And, and really what I did too was just to think, is any of that even true? Like, I don't even think those thoughts that I'm having are true. I don't even really, when I, when I poke around them in them and think like, really, is that true that no people won't like me because I'm not on TV? Like that doesn't even, you know, like you said, maybe there are some, but whatever. Okay. Not the majority. It's not the majority. Yeah, they, but we, right. Yeah. You know, we, we adopt these things and everybody's walking around with thoughts that aren't about themselves that aren't even true, you know, and it's right. holding them back in their lives. And that's why I like coaching so much because we get into your brain and look at what we're thinking and, you know, you talked about feeling and, and how I did do a podcast too about feeling your feelings. And I know you and I have talked about this. I think it's so important. We like to bypass that step. The, these thoughts that I was thinking that I've thought all my life, lots of not kind thoughts about myself created feelings of such pain in me and such discomfort that I didn't want to feel that, that I turned to so many different kinds of coping behaviors to just numb out and check out from that. Right. Well, problem with your numbing behaviors and you know those behaviors is that it never leads you to the life that you want right. or that you dream of. Yeah. And so it was I had to learn how to feel, how to sit and go, okay, I feel anxiety right now. I feel anxiety. What does it feel? It's like a tightness in my chest. It's hard to breathe. Oh, my palms are sweaty. Oh, okay, it's really unpleasant. I just sit and call it, call it out, notice it, talk about what's happening in my body. And you know what? I'll be darned if it doesn't eventually pass. I mean, right. it's like the weather, you know, if you can sit and learn to tolerate your feelings of discomfort, they don't last forever. They don't last forever. So exactly. that has been a game changer for me in being able to go after making this change that I'm making right now. I think that's the toughest thing for people to face during that transition because I know for me, whenever I had to face those personal demons, it mm-hmm. was so painful because I had to admit that a yeah. lot of the misery that I was experiencing, a lot of the anxiety that I was having in my life was due to problems that I created for myself or the thoughts that I generated that created those emotions. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, although that was extremely painful and difficult, once I put my ego aside and realized, but I have control over that, mm-hmm. that exact same thing that I feared became liberating, that I had control over my thoughts, which mm-hmm. had control over my mm-hmm. emotions. Mm-hmm. And I know you talk about that as well. And, you know, thoughts are so powerful. I don't think people realize um, how that generates those negative vibes in our life. And as you were saying, like, if you suppress it, energy, it's emotional energy. It can't be destroyed. It can be transferred and we can either transfer that within ourselves or we can project that or displace that onto other people. Mm -hmm. And so throughout your career, how have you seen that present itself? Because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they displace that energy on other people, but also they take it home with them and displace that on their families. 
So how have you seen that play out in your career, um, working with people and the energy of interviewing other people or just colleagues? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say first, what comes to mind when you ask that question is that I did that, that I did that, that the feelings I wasn't feeling, that I was just shove them on down there, eat another cracker, drink another glass of wine, eat some more cheese, push it down, push it down, push it down, right? That I was the one taking my fear and anxiety and everything and smearing it all over those around me because I had it healed. So I think I was probably the biggest offender. When you ask the question, I think of myself first more than anything, right? Yeah. And, and how I would, you know, do that to my husband. I mean, there were times in our marriage that, you know, I think I was a very difficult person to live with. And I know you find it shocking. I seem so charming, but, but I really think I was very difficult because I had so much unhealed trauma and stuff that was just stored in my body that I never, I didn't want to heal it. I was afraid if I started to let it come up, that it would just overtake me and like kill me, you know, is what it felt like because it was so painful. Um, but once I started to really dig in and do the work and I knew I had to, um, you know, if I had a stressful day at work and my husband came home and I'd be like, you take these kids and I'm going to bed and yeah. I got to do, you know, and, yeah. and just, just not kind, not the person who I want to be, not loving and kind. So that's certainly one way that I've seen that play out um, in my own life. And certainly, you know, in a newsroom, newsrooms are, um, especially back in the day, they were not such antiseptic environments. I mean, you know, people were salty and, and all kinds of language would be flying. And, you know, if someone would get mad, a stack of tapes might get thrown, things like that. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when you can witness it in someone else sometimes more easily than you can see it in yourself. And I right. think, Ooh, he needs therapy. <laughs> he needs some self-awareness. He needs to meditate. He needs something. Um, but I just know that if you're not healed and you're not feeling your feelings, it comes out in some other way and you smear it all over the people around you, your family, your colleagues, your clients, your coworkers, mm -hmm. your neighbors, your church community, other parents at the school. Yep. So that's why it's worth doing this work. And it directly impacts and affects your relationships in your oh, life. 100%. 100%. So I have a two-part question for you. Okay. So the first part is what was the moment in your life that you realized I've got to do something about this, right? When you start to make that transition. And then the second part is once you started to realize that you're not a terrible person, you're just not dealing with these emotions. How did you start to see others who exhibited those same emotions differently? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll take the second part first. So how did I, when I'd see it in other people, how did I view them differently? Yeah. Now that you realize that it has nothing to do with being a bad human being, but it has everything to do with an unmet need, not addressing yes. it effectively. Yes. Yeah. I'll tell you what it does for me. It helped me to be far less judgmental and have so much more compassion for people. Yeah. You know, I remember thinking, say, even saying things like, I can't believe that she would do this. I can't believe, oh, he would do that. I would never <laughs> until I started to do the work on myself and realize like, oh my gosh, no, they're not horrible people. Just like I'm not a horrible person. I just have these unmet needs or unhealed emotions that I haven't dealt with. And so it's coming out in the form of 
gossip or backstabbing or overeating or over drinking or overspending or lashing out at people around me. And so I think that's the number one thing that it, it does. And I'm, I'm far more willing now to give people the benefit of the doubt. Whereas before, um, I would think, well, I can't even believe that they would act like that. And now I go, hmm, I wonder what's going I can stop yeah. leaning and be curious and say, exactly. huh, I wonder what's going on for her. Like, I wonder, I wonder what this is about instead of making everybody so wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the compassion that's been granted to me, um, you know, I believe this is a faithful person and, and also um, just that other people have extended to me. I think I have to do that. And I think that we all need more of that in our lives. We're just yeah. quick to just rake someone over the coals. We just love to do that in our culture and our society, you know, and I think taking a moment to go like, okay, you know what? I ain't all that either all the time. Like to, to give people, cut them a break, you know, and, and uh, show them a different way. Right. Remind me the first part of the question. I'm sorry, I forgot. So what was the turning point for you? Um, or two things. I started going to, I grew up in a really, um, it was messed up home life growing up. And um, I, I, it was really showing it, all the uh, all the pain I'd been through really was showing up in my relationships, mm -hmm. like in my early twenties, my relationships with boyfriends, and and um, I just didn't do them well. I didn't do them well. Um, I think I cheated on every boyfriend I had until I met. I've never said this out loud to anybody before, but or to friends, but not publicly certainly. Um, until I met my husband, that was that was later. But once I met him. He was my guy and that was it. But, but prior to that, you know, I, and I had all this like tumultuous difficulty in my relationships and, and there was this one guy, I thought I liked him so much. And really, I just wanted him to fix, to heal me. That's what I wanted. I didn't really like mm -hmm. him so much, but I knew that it was so dramatic. The relationship was so dramatic. I thought I've got to go to therapy. And that's when I started going to therapy and realizing like, Oh, okay. You know, growing up in a home with substance abuse and mental illness that goes untreated and undiscussed and codependency. Oh, that's not exactly great for cranking out a, um, an emotionally healthy human being. When I started to <laughs> realize that and do that work, then it was like, oh, okay. So that was kind of the, the, my introduction into knowing that there was a different way. Um, but really when I got very serious about it, I would say would be the early years of my marriage the early years of my marriage. It's by the grace of God that I have a wonderful, kind, loving husband. Um, but like I said a moment ago, I wasn't always easy to live with. And it's because I still had all this unhealed stuff. I, when I was in therapy in my 20s, I really, my, my mid-20s, early 20s, I really wanted it to be like, I thought I should be over it by now. Like I've gone to therapy for a year. I should be over it and I should be fine. Well, as we know, that's not how it works. It's an ongoing process. Right. I accept that now. I still have triggers for things, things that might set me off. And now I just am able to recognize them. So I would say the early years of my marriage that um, were fraught with some difficulty was what really got me serious about doing the work and realizing my husband's not responsible for every feeling that I have. And this is not his job. It's my Here's job. Here's to you for actually taking that step to go to therapy. Because for so many people, there's just this negative stigma around mental health. You know, if someone broke a leg, they wouldn't say, oh, I'm not going to, you know, the doctor to get this uh, fixed. They yeah. would, you know, but with mental yeah. health, it's seen 
And I think it's because for so many years, people were just placed in these mental institutions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And people still have that negative stigma around it. And even for me, like I grew up in a family that loved me very much, but they cannot communicate effectively to save their life. And it's very stressful. So I grew up in this very turbulent uh, household where my grandparents were neighbors and they went a decade without speaking to my parents, but I was the middleman because my grandparents would watch me. So my whole life being an only child, I'm the glue that held my family together by a thread. And so that placed a lot of pressure on me. I was just going to say no pressure. (laughs) No pressure. And I just assume because, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that, oh, well, it's through the generations. It's a chemical imbalance. We can't help it. It's just part of who we are. You're stuck Mm -hmm. with it too now. And so Mm -hmm. at 15, they put me on anti-anxiety medicine. And believe it or not, I was excited to be on anti-anxiety medicine because now I had a condition that I can blame all of my toxic behaviors on that condition. I can't help it. It's not my fault. I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I see that in so many people that yeah. it's, it's not my fault. I don't want to own this. And they're like, I have a chemical imbalance. Yes, we do have chemical imbalances. And a lot of mm-hmm. those chemical imbalances can be self-induced because mine was. It was my environment that I allowed to have control over my emotions, which Mm -hmm. created that chemical imbalance in myself. And I know that because by applying emotional intelligence, I've been able to get off anxiety medicine and control my anxiety. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone. I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. tell everybody that they don't need medication because I know that there are certain conditions, but like a lot of medications, I feel like it's meant to control the symptoms instead of take care of the underlying Mm -hmm. issue. And that's what I want to stress to people is while you're on your medicine, start practicing meditation, start practicing mindfulness. You may be surprised and then you may not need that medicine. Maybe you do, Mm -hmm. but start applying these other things to your life. Yeah. And in many cases, the medicine, if if you really are struggling with anxiety can really help you to get to the place where you can even stand to do the work. So, so yes, yes, to, to, I think medication can be a huge gift um, for a lot of people. And, and sometimes it just is enough to help you, like if it's really bad for you, if it's really difficult to be able to calm down, right. slow down and practice that mindfulness. But I think, that, I think that the thing that's so important is we can't neglect to do the work, whether you're on right. medication or not on medication, that you can't neglect to look at those things, look at, your, look at what are your thoughts, what are these things that you're, that your thoughts that you're choosing that we think we can't control. Many of us, many of us don't even know what we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. We just, just walking around do, 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 with these things going through our brain. And we're just like, yep, she's prettier than me. She's more successful than me. Oh, you know, of course she started a successful business because look at her. I could never do that. We just right. think that we're observing the world as it is when in reality, those are just thoughts. And yeah. those are thoughts that you can choose. And, and when you look at them and you see these are low vibe thoughts that are creating feelings of self-doubt, feelings of anxiety, feelings of rejection, feelings of defeat. When you feel those things, how do you show up in the world? Do you show up and, you know, try to create a kick-ass business? No, you probably turn to some coping behaviors, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the result you get? You don't have a good business 
or whatever the, the thing is that you want right. to do. So that's why it's so important. Like the things we say to ourselves, about ourselves, the language we use, the thoughts going on in our brain, it, it really dictates, can dictate your reality. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, so many people get stuck in this vin, uh, victim mentality. And I was in that for the longest time. Nothing's ever my fault. The world is totally against me. I deserve all the pity in the world. Yeah. Feel sorry for me. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And um, I, I'm a very, very stubborn person, extremely stubborn. And it was all thanks to my ex for me going in search of myself, to be quite honest. Mm. He walked into the room. I, I dropped out of caught. Well, I don't, I don't like to say dropped out, but I didn't complete my degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that is dropping out, isn't it? But, <laughs> but, but I went back, I went back for psychology and I was like, I'm going to do this. Right. And so my first semester, I was in my room and I was throwing books and I was having a temper tantrum, a full-blown adult temper tantrum. And he walks in and he goes, what the hell is going on with you? And I was like, I can't do this. I'm not, college isn't meant for me. He was like, you know what? I'm really tired of hearing you say that you can't do all these things when I really haven't seen you try. And so I wanted to prove him wrong. I'm like, I'm going to prove to you that I'm a failure. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to put all my effort into it. Well, the joke was on me because I graduated with honors and it was like the biggest light bulb went off. Like, oh my gosh, for 23 years, I have played the victim in life Mm -hmm. instead instead of taking ownership for Mm -hmm. that. And if he wouldn't have challenged me, I would probably still be playing the victim in my life. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had someone in your life that with tough love kind of woke you up to something? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I would say my husband is one of those people who's done that for me. And, and in more recent years, even it's been certain, uh, two of my very closest friends when it comes to for example, my business. So I'm going to give you an example of, of kind of what you're talking about, the victim went recently for me when I was feeling very victim-y. And that's why I, I like to say this. It's a process, right? It's not a destination. It's not like now I'm emotionally healed and everything's all good and everything works out all the time. I'm 50 years old and I have done this work and I work with other people on this stuff and I still have issues, right? So yeah. I say, but the, I'm just quicker at catching it and knowing exactly. what to do to get out of it. So yep. So there's a woman, when I was starting my coaching business, there's a woman I know who, um, she, was, she was kind of already in the space. She'd been doing stuff in coaching space kind of thing, and she was holding retreats. And I mean, her pictures online were spectacular. I mean, it was as if she had a professional photographer following her around at all times. And just, I mean, gorgeous, everything was perfect, had these off-the-chain retreats at very expensive, exclusive hotels, pre-pandemic and just like the clothes, all designer clothes, like everything was so perfect. Right. And she had these amazing speakers at her retreats. And I kept saying, this is before I launched my business, I was getting certified. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, if I had money like that, if I had resources like her, I mean, that's why she can do, I mean, she's doing that because she's got all this stuff like, Oh, I don't, I don't have that. I couldn't, have a retreat like that, or, you know, I'm not buying clothes like that. I've got kids I got to put through college. I, you know, wah, 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 wah. oh, poor me. Yeah. I can't do that. Cause I don't have what she has. I don't look like that. I don't have that. 
Like that was something that I called myself out on and thought, okay, if I walk around saying that, I'm letting myself off the hook. Making her remarkable or making that she has a lot of money or a certain kind of a leg up lets me off the hook, mm-hmm. which who good, because I'm scared to put myself out there and say that I'm a life coach and start a business. So that's a lot easier. I'll just sit here and drink a glass of rosé instead. I'll have one with you. Just let me know when you <laughs> want to have a party. <laughs> well, well, well. When we yeah. have problems. <laughs> thank you. That is a word. Thank you. You have been listening. Yes. Problems, my made up word. It means problems, problematic, something's not to your liking. Like I thought, her clothes are so great. My clothes are Prawlins. She's got these great pictures. Oh, my pictures are Prawlins. Like everything. I was comparing it and, and I let that keep me from doing anything to some other person who has nothing to do with me, right? Her business, what she's out doing in the world does not affect me. Nothing has changed. The circumstances are exactly the same, yet I was making it mean that I couldn't do it. Like I'm even as they say it, drop. I realize how ridiculous that is, huh? I'm not going to name drop, but I, I have a feeling I know who you're talking about. Is she on the West Coast? That's all I'm going to ask. <laughs> so funny she does that. I, no comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. I, like as you were saying that, I was like, I think I know exactly <laughs> who she's talking about. No and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I've looked at similar people as well. And and I think the same thing, you know, I go into that victim mentality, but recently I've kind of changed my coach. Well, I wouldn't say coach approach. My approach is the same thing, but my ideal clientele has kind of changed. It's shifted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the clients that I work with now are high achievers. They have a lot of money. They've got the car, they got the house, they got the wife. And I was so intimidated when I started bringing these people on as clients, Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to teach them? They've got it all. And then I started to realize once you get comfortable and you build that trust Mm -hmm. that they've got challenges in their life that don't show through the surface. Yes. And it Mm -hmm. really gives me a new perspective on just the labels that we put on anyone because social media has made it where we can present the life that we want to anyone, but that is not the truth. Definitely not the whole truth for many of us. It's not. When you, I like to say, everybody got problems. Everybody yes. got problems. So when you remember, like even that guy who's your client, who seems like you know he's got the big bank account and a lovely family and a beautiful home and a fancy car, like he got problems too. Yet we're thinking oh my gosh, he's so successful. Like, how can I be his coach? How can I uh, work with him? What am I going to teach him? Or who am I to start a business when that woman exists over there? You know, but, but they got stuff going on too that, that we don't know about. So that's sometimes when it's time to put the blinders on and get in your lane and do your work, you yeah, know? Exactly. What, what is my purpose? What is my mission in life? Yes. And how do, how do I get there? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And stop with the excuses. And here's the thing about excuses. A lot of times they are valid. A lot of times excuses are valid and legit. And that's when we get back into our brains and look at what we're thinking. What are those thoughts? What feelings are they producing in us? How do those feelings make us act? Right. Right. And I look at people like Oprah Mm -hmm. who 
had all these challenges growing up in her life, but look where she is now. Mm -hmm. It's all about how much discomfort are you willing to get in? Because it is uncomfortable and it is going to be hard, but are we willing to front load? Are we willing to put that work in up front for the payoff later? And when I say payoff, I'm not talking necessarily monetary. I'm talking about like to actually live the life that we want to live. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people aren't willing to, to put in that work. I know because it, it, and that's what you just said. I think it's so important to know. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't always feel good. And we, a lot of us like to order our lives around avoiding feeling discomfort, mm-hmm. which comes mm-hmm. back to like the numbing out behaviors. Listen, I, you know, started binge eating when I was 12 years old. So I get it. You know, I, I, I know exactly what, what that's about. And then when you realize, wait a minute, the growth comes from, it sounds cliche and hokey, but the growth really does come from those periods when you can, I'm going to sit with the discomfort and feeling uncomfortable isn't a sign that, that things are going wrong and that you're supposed to stop and turn around and go back. That's not what it means. It just means that when you are trying different things, you're doing a new way of life, you're living your life a different way, it will, you're breaking bad habits, it will feel difficult. And your brain wants a comfortable, predictable pattern. Your yes. brain would rather go back to whatever it used to do, which was watch too much TV or whatever, you know, go shopping, whatever it is that you're doing, instead of feeling the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you yeah. realize it, you can, to- you can tolerate these emotions. You can feel them. You can actually sit with them and feel them. And, and by all means, if they're overwhelming to you, work with a professional, right? Go see a therapist. Right. Um, that's important. I think, well, I think everyone should have a therapist. Going back to what you said about a therapist or a coach, something. Oh my yeah. God. I think everybody needs one. And when people are like, oh, I've never been to therapy. I'm like, oh, I don't know if we can be friends. You've never been to therapy? Like, how is that possible? I love therapy. Love therapy. But when you, can, when you know that you can sit with your feelings and feel them and- okay, I'm not dead. I'm still here. It didn't kill me. All right. Yeah. You know, you start to build up the, the resilience mm-hmm. to know that you're the kind of person who can do that. Yeah. And a bottle of wine is not therapy, by the way, for anybody who's listening. He's like, I have my therapy. It's my bottle of wine every night. <laughs> no, we joke about that. I've even joked about that, but it's totally not. It's not yeah. therapy. Yeah. It's not. No. And, and, Everybody has, you know, some people it's not alcohol. Some people it's the, the thrill of something new and exciting. It's the chase for someone or something else. And with technology, I think many of us are fueling that addiction through social media and through our phones and devices, right? Like we talk about the alcohol and the drugs because that's what we've always known as addictions. But I think we really need to start looking at other things like material items that we may feel like we have to have to fill that hole. Or as you were saying with food or our phones or social media, like Mm -hmm. all of those things are addictions, even sex addiction. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you bring that up too. That's important because I think that the, the technology addiction is whew, it's really doing a number on making people feel bad about themselves. I mean, it, 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 it's what I was talking about, the, the tolerance, right? So that 
we, we can't even tolerate sitting for five minutes yeah. without, a, without checking social media or checking something on your favorite app on your phone or playing a game or checking the news that you can't just sit in a waiting room, you know, at the doctor's office and just sit there right. and, and look, you know, that we need to look around or daydream, right? That's, that's where good ideas are born. Those states yeah. of reverie, when we allow ourselves to kind of, you know, not be checking our phone all the time, but to just sort of look at the, you know, look at the sky, look out the window, notice the furniture in the room, whatever, be aware of what's going on around you. Beautiful things happen in that space, yes. but, but you have to on purpose make a decision to do that. And, and yeah, the, the, the technology addiction is really, that is another form of numbing out though, Brittany Nicole, right. you're right. It's another form of checking out and we have to be smart consumers with that. You have to yeah. know that these are, these are designed to keep you addicted. I mean, you know, what's so unfortunate? what I find so unfortunate is that we're becoming so addicted that we expect to be entertained 24 seven. Like the yeah. fact that I go to a gas station and there's a television while I am pumping gas for all of 20 seconds Ridiculous. Like, come on. I even, I, I was speaking at a conference last year before COVID, obviously. And I walk into the hotel restroom in the lobby and there is a television implanted in the mirror. <laughs> so when you walk up, it, it detects you, you know, and it starts playing. And I'm like, you've got to be wow. kidding me. I'm wow. here to wash my hands so I can quickly leave. And you're playing the television. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, ridiculous. it's too much. That's why I think to be a, a smart consumer is really important. When you know it's designed to keep you addicted, to have, you know, phone-free times or screen-free time, when you put it in a drawer in another room of your house and shut the door and go do something else. Mm -hmm. See what yeah. happens, you know, eat, eat a meal without your phone at the table. Yeah, or sitting in front of the TV while you're doing it. Yeah. 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 So I want to go back to what you were talking about with the unpleasant feelings mm -hmm. because I think it's so important and I wanted to make sure that I talked about this in the book because not understanding why we avoid certain situations and why we're driven to other things to do other things or to fill other things mm -hmm. I think that's really important to understand the psychology and biology behind that mm -hmm. We avoid unpleasant emotions because back in the day, that could have been a threat. We mm. want to stay in our comfort zone. We don't want to upset someone in our tribe because if we get kicked out, that could have meant life or death for us. Mm -hmm. So there are reasons why we avoid doing certain things or have feelings about certain things. Mm -hmm. I think understanding that psychology and biology behind it is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're coaching someone, do you kind of talk through that process or how, how does that work for you? Do you talk about the psychology or biology behind it, or is it more moving past that um, for what yeah, they want? In, great question. In coaching, it really is about moving past that because hopefully they've done that work with a therapist or um, because coaching is different than therapy. I'm not right. qualified to do what a therapist does. Um, so it, it However, we might touch on some things. And if I think somebody really needs, they really have some blocks or really have some unhealed stuff, I will always recommend a therapist. And, and I've actually turned down clients because I think, no, you need a therapist, not a coach. You're not ready to go find the job of your dreams yet because you don't even, they're, they're not even there. They're not even there because of, right. yeah, where they've been. So 
Um, but certainly I do think though, it is important what you just said to, to know, yes, I avoid situations with new people because back when I was in middle school and I was teased for X, Y, and Z, I have weird feelings about meeting new people, like to know it so that you can know what your brain is doing. Right. Your brain even, thinks I've been here before. Oh, we got, we got to protect ourselves. I can't do that. But even the inherent biology, right. That's been passed down through all yes. the thousands of yes. years to like where when we, tigers were chasing us. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you mentioned anxiety and I want to talk about the difference between fear and anxiety because mm, okay. people confuse those two. So, We can't have anxiety in the present moment. Like it literally cannot exist because anxiety is only from a fear of the future or a fear of a future event, like Mm -hmm. what we're anticipating happening Mm -hmm. or based on an experience that we've had in the past. So -hmm. when we have anxiety, it's coming from either a past or the fear of the future experience. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I think mindfulness for us is, is so important because we can only experience true fear when we're actually in the moment. There's a life threatening experience. If you're in the car and somebody actually hits you, you can have fear. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting in traffic and you have fear, then it's really anxiety. It's you're afraid that you're going to get an accident. You're afraid you're going to be late for work or you've been in an accident before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so where was I going with this? Well, I mean, had a question. That's all right. But, <laughs> but piggyback off of that, please. Yeah, if, I just sparked something in me. I was thinking about, you know, when you feel that anxiety and how it's, a, you're, it's usually it's nervousness about a future event that may or may not happen, probably not going to happen. How, and you talk about using mindfulness as a tool. I love to get, that's when go back into my body. What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? Mm-hmm. And I say, I will say to myself, the lifelong anxiety sufferer, by the way, had anxiety my whole life, still very prone to it. Again, I just have the tools now to be able to come down from it. But I tell myself, like, this is not a dangerous situation. This is not a dangerous situation. This is not a dangerous situation. Like, there's not a tiger about to attack me. I didn't just get in an accident. Like, this is not a dangerous situation. These are things that I'm thinking about that are making me, that are creating this feeling in me. That helps me for some reason. That is a very grounding thing to get back in my body and say, this is not a dangerous situation. If it's indeed not a dangerous situation. And most times it is not, you know, the thing that I'm worked up about. And it helps me to kind of come back down so that I can respond instead of freaking out or reacting and, you know, you know, I mean, if anyone's listening who has anxiety and, you know, you, we talk about breathing and it sounds too easy to do. I mean, it sounds too simple that you think right. that couldn't possibly do anything. You don't know how I feel. Like I'm really spun out. Like I you, you breathe. You just want me to breathe. Yes. Like mm-hmm. obnoxious breathing. It's proven. I mean, this is because it gets you out of that fight or flight response. It takes you from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. So it regulates your nervous system whenever you do that. And that's, that's why it's effective. But like you said, it's so simple, mm-hmm. but it works. Mm-hmm. It really it works. does. It really helps to bring you just to 
get you so not so keyed up so that you can choose how you want to respond to something. You know? There was, there was something else that you said in one of your podcasts and it was, it was talking about, you know, you observe the feeling that you're having, you're like, Oh, high anxiety. You're here. You know, it's, you're mm-hmm. acknowledging its presence, mm-hmm. but then also being able to realize or ask yourself, is this something I can control or I can't control? Because we get anxious over situations oftentimes we have no control over. Mm-hmm. So we're burning all this energy worrying about something that hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. that may still happen, but do we have control over it? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you handle that? How do you handle the things that are very stressful for any mm-hmm. of us? It would be. And you know that you don't have control over it, but how do you bring yourself down from that anxious state to say, well, it's going to happen. If it happens, it happens, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think a couple things it's, it's having, knowing that I'm the kind of person who's going to figure it out, having to become that kind of a person that I've handled difficult situations before I can handle a difficult situation again. It's like kind of having your own, being your own friend, it's kind of having your own back, like no, becoming that kind of a person. It's cultivating that. It's cultivating resilience, right? And, and being able to, um, I think it's coming back into present, right? You, you ask, you know, we say, it's easy to say when somebody is having in the throes of a, an anxiety episode, right? It's easy to say like, oh, you can't control that. And they go, yeah, you're right. I can't. And okay, yeah, I should be fine. But really, they're still not fine, right? right really, they're right. still not fine. They're still keyed up and they still feel the, the, it's hard to breathe, chest is tight, whatever is going on for them. So it really is, I think you have to direct your brain to go somewhere else. I think that's why I think it is the breathing and it's, it's even playing, playing it out. Like, okay, let's say I, you know, I quit my job, my, my same paycheck every two weeks, and I'm going to do this business now. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to have any money. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be homeless. Oh my gosh. Oh. Just spirals. Spiral, <laughs> catastrophic thinking, spiral. Okay, well, Colleen, let's slow it down. Okay, the truth is, I don't know. I know how many clients I have right now. I know how much income I have right now. I don't know what it will be next month. Okay. What are the facts of the situation? My husband has a good job. Am I really going to be homeless? No, that's more than likely. That's not going to happen. Like coming back to, you know, what can I do? Okay. What can I do? Like the pandemic has been a great example, you know, with, with people, you know, really getting so anxious and we don't, we don't have control over whether the vaccine is what's going to happen with that when things can be back to quote normal or some new idea of normal. We can't control any of those things. Okay. So come back to the present moment. I think it's coming back to, I have what I need in this moment. I'm safe in this moment. I'm okay in this moment. And which again, sounds simplistic and I don't mean to, to make it that way, but it's, it's really true. Mm-hmm. It's really the truth. If you can't do anything about something, you can't do anything about something. Right. Right. You have to let it go. I mean, I really, I take, I take helium balloons, you know, and in my brain, I tie them around the thoughts that I don't like. And I, and I'm talking the big obnoxious mylar balloon bouquet and I tie them to thoughts and I go, let them go, just let them go. You know, like I, I have to, because otherwise 
it renders me useless. Mm-hmm. And if I'm rendered useless, guess what? I end up feeling more anxious mm-hmm. because then I'm not doing things to create more business. Then I'm not, because I'm so keyed up that I'm not taking good care of my family. So now I'm worried, are my kids okay? Are they going to be okay? Right. It, we, that, this is why we have to control these things. It, it directly impacts the quality of your life and what you're capable of doing and creating. You yeah. know, we were not put on this planet to sit here and put ourselves through all this suffering, self-imposed suffering yeah. that many of us put ourselves through when we can choose a different way. Right. And energy emotion stays in motion and your emotions are energy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what kind of energy are, are you keeping in motion? Is it going to be positive or are you going to, you know, stay yeah. in the negative? Yeah. I noticed so that what you, you talk- do, what I, Oh, I'm sorry. I just, no, what do you do when you're feeling like is something anxious about something that you know you can't do anything about? What do you do? I bring awareness to, first off, what do I have no control over? Okay. I have to accept that. I have no control over this. What I do have control over is how I'm going to react to that. Or is there something I can do to avoid or redirect? So I, I, work through all the different scenarios in my head, like, well, here's an option or there's an option or here's yeah. how I can relieve that. So it's, it's problem solving. It's a strategy. Yeah. When an obstacle is put in front of you, I mean, you'd be dumb just to stand there and be like, Oh, here it is. You know, no, you're going to move around. You're going to yeah. walk around the obstacle. You're going to find a way to keep going. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. may block that one path, but there's, infinite paths in life. And it's our choice to decide which direction we want to take that. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I do with that. Um, But I noticed that you talk a lot about visualization. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with NLP, neuro-linguistic programming? Um, Not really. I mean, I've heard of it. I don't know much much about it. No. So it's all about, uh, well, it's there's many different avenues and, and modalities with NLP, but one of the things is visualization of your feelings and your emotions. Cause you talked about before one of your podcasts, like if this was a color, what color yeah. would that be? What shape would that be? Yeah. And that's actually really effective just like mm-hmm. with you and the thoughts and tying them to, you know, a balloon and, and releasing mm-hmm. them. It's crazy, but it works those visualizations work. It helps me very much. I like them. I like to be able to see it in my head. And I, I don't know, it just makes sense to me and it helps me. And I've done that with clients before where I've led them through visualization exercises and, and they find it helpful too. But I do like naming, like seeing an emotion if it's really, uh, you know, the, the, the difficult ones, the mm-hmm. sort of dark emotions and, and seeing like, does it have a shape? Does it have a color is it pulsating? Is it, is it, what's it doing? Is it, you know, is it, is it close or is it far away? Yeah. Yeah. I like doing that. Yeah. You can, then you kind of go, Oh, I see it. (laughs) I think you'd be super interested in NLP. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of that. I, I watched, um, I can't remember his name, but he's an NLP practitioner and he was helping people with pain using NLP. And so he would have them identify where the pain was and act as if they were grabbing the pain out of, let's say their hip. So it was like, pull it out, make sure you get all of it. Like now hold it in front of you. What color Mm. is the pain? You know, and most Mm. people, if it's significant pain, you usually see 
red or orange, like warmer colors. And he would Mm -hmm. have them turn that into like a cool blue, like an aqua blue, and then Mm -hmm. scrunch it up, you know, and like Mm -hmm. shrink it and do all these things, manipulate the colors and the fill everything. And then he would say, how's your pain? And they're like, it's, it's very mild now. I mean, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Our brains are so powerful, you know? Our brains really are so is. powerful. And when you know that and you know that you can use yeah. it as a tool yeah. to help you and to help those around you, changes mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I love about the, um, the I, I would love to know how you came up with the name of your podcast and your business. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. what it makes me think of when you, when you talk about waking up to your life, right? So many of us, I feel like are sleepwalking through life Mm -hmm. and you really do wake people up with the messages that, that you bring through your podcast and I'm sure through your coaching as well. Um, so what do you see for yourself? What is your vision since we're kind of nearing the hour? I'd like to finish with what do you see Colleen doing across the next five years of her life. What does that look like? What I'll be doing is coaching people, helping them realize that they are not, they don't have to be victims and held captive by their thoughts, that they can wake up and create a different existence for themselves. Whether they want to lose weight, you know, they're not happy with their health. It's a relationship that's not working out. They're stuck in a career they hate. There's so many people going to jobs they hate. They can't stand them. And they really believe that nothing else is possible. They don't think they can do anything else or that there are no other options, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's that sleepwalking. And we keep believing that and believing that and going through life thinking, I'm, this is all that there is for me. You know, we get the life we tolerate. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. we get what mm-hmm. we'll put up with to realize that, no, like there's so much in you that you can always change something for the mm-hmm. better. I'm not saying you're necessarily going to, yeah, I don't promise anyone you're, I, I'm going to reach your goal. Only you can reach your goal. Exactly. But, but, but I, what I really, I love doing this work with people because so many people are hurting so much. So many people feel that sleepwalking state. They are living on autopilot. They're going yeah. through the motions, wondering why nothing's ever changing, why they're still stuck in this crappy job. Their relationship sucks. They're, they're you know, they're, overweight. They're not happy about being overweight. They're they're just, you know, they're not close with their kids. They don't have great friends, whatever it is like, no, you can change that. It's going to be hard work. You might feel some, you will feel some discomfort. You're going to have to make new choices, but you really can change those things. So all, all I know, I don't know what the roadmap, what the blueprint is, what the roadmap is for me. I just know I want to keep working with people and I will in this way and I will do it, whether it's through the podcast or one-on-one coaching or group coaching, as long as God is calling me to this, I will keep talking and I will keep sharing stories from my own life if it helps people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Colleen. Like this is, this has been a pleasure. Um, and how can people find you? And I'll put all of this in the show notes as well. But for those listening, how can they find you? Yeah, my website is ColleenOdegaard.com. My name is very hard to spell, as Brittany Nicole said. She'll <laughs> put it on the show notes. Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, 
Odegaard, O-D-E-G-A-A-R-D.com. The podcast is called Wake Up To Your Life. You can subscribe for free on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, like wherever you're listening to this show right now. And uh, follow me on Instagram, Colleen underscore Odegaard. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you.